the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentanko's message today is entitled, The Reconciler. Now, we hope you enjoy it. Now, if you miss any portion of this first part of the broadcast, you can find the entire message online at reachingyourheart.com and can listen to it at any time in on-demand audio format or download a copy to your personal library. That's The Reconciler and, again, reachingyourheart.com. Stay with me for a few seconds afterwards. I have some other important information to pass along to you. Here now is Pastor Mike. As we open the Bible today, help us to be reconciled to you because you have reconciled us to you before we were ever born. May we be reconciled to you in our own experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Making up is hard. And especially if you're the one who's been wronged by the other party. Is that true? If you've really been hurt by someone, isn't it hard to make up with them? Especially if you don't see them moving in your direction. It's hard. Friend, God didn't wrong the human race and God didn't wrong you. I mean, God gets the credit for so much bad in the world. People say, well, I'm this way because God did it to me. God didn't wrong you. He didn't wrong Adam. He didn't wrong the human race. In the person of Adam, we wronged him. That's the more accurate way to look at it. We brought pain to his heart. We slapped him in the face and we forced him to prove his love to us. That's what really happened. In the Bible, Jesus is more than just a healer, a teacher, a life giver that we've talked about these previous weeks and a forgiver of sins. Friend, Jesus is also the reconciler of the human race to God. He came for big reasons, not just our personal reasons. He's the one who takes the hurt that is in the heart of God for every lost soul. Yes, God hurts when He sees His children go wrong. And He comes to the race that has lost its soul and He pours a flood of healing grace on the human race that heals the hurt and sets it free at the cross. At the cross. Friend, the cross becomes the crossroad where God and man meet and in Jesus they're reconciled. Jesus is the reconciler for and of the human race. He's the peacemaker in the heart of God who came from God and made peace with God for us. Friend, Jesus is the antidote for a road existence that is insanely governed by fear, malice, resentment, and discontent. And that is the description of the world we live in. I mean, no one's happy with what they have. There's this feverish attempt to get ahead. Christ is the antidote for this kind of wrong existence. Christ has mended the relationship that was shattered at the very dawn of time, our time in Eden. And in Him, God is near. He's the single focus of God's love to reach out and find you and bring you back to God. Dear heart, Jesus is the reconciler of the human race. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Romans 5, 6, While we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You should underline that verse in your Bible. I mean, take out your magic marker, your pen, whatever, and circle that one. While we were weak, 
What does that mean? It means that we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't change ourselves. At that time, when we were wholly unable to reach out to God, God in Christ reached out to us and brought us close to Him. And frankly, we didn't even know we needed help. That's a fact. I think we could look back in our own experience and say, in our sanest moments, we realize we need God. In our insane journey, that part which is not right, we don't even feel like we need God. And that's what it means to be weak. The Greek word can be translated sick. We were all born sick. What kind of sickness is the Bible talking about here? Isaiah 1, 5-6. We have a little context in the Scriptures. Isaiah writes, Why will you still be smitten that you continue to rebel? And then he says this, The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and bleeding wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. That's a pretty good description of the human condition. From head to foot, every one of us in of ourselves we've gone wrong. From head to foot, the human condition is universally diseased. Friend, there is no soundness in it, but bruises, sores, bleeding wounds full of pus in all of us. And I'll put it more frankly, we all have spiritual aids as far as God is concerned. Did you hear me? We all have that incurable disease that spreads and destroys unless God is in us to reverse the disease. So we are like the leper in the New Testament that no one can touch. We are the outcast in the cosmic sense without Jesus. Romans 5, 6 says, At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The right time is the time in which it had to happen. Friend, Christ came to die for us when the wound was right and ripe to destroy the human race. He came to face our sins and face God's righteous judgment on sin and to die for us. God sent Jesus to this place to heal the wound and to reconcile the human race to God. What would motivate God to do that kind of thing? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why would God do that? Why not just start over and forget about all of us? Plenty of planets out there. Have you ever looked up in a telescope and seen how broad the visual field is? Get on YouTube and look at that video on the nebula in our own galaxy. I was enjoying that last week. And what a magnificent picture of the universe. Star factories in these massive clouds of dust. The Orion Nebula Perhaps the most beautiful, the lot with the trapezium, the four brilliant stars in the middle. And I believe that it's very possible that that's the place where God's throne is at. The four living creatures, the trapezium. And I don't want to go into all the reasons why I believe that, but I do. Plenty of planets out there. Why not take one and just start over? Why not just leave the lost to die in their sins and their sickness and just blot them out of existence? Why not do something like that? That most important verse in the Bible needs to be read again this morning. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now how many of you feel deep down inside that that verse applies to you? Raise your hand. Do you feel that way? Now if you didn't raise your hand or if you raised your hand because everybody else did, Sometimes happens in group dynamics, you know. It doesn't change the truth that that verse is for you. 
if there was no other one in the universe, that verse is true for you. All that is God, the love of God, the mind of God, the riches of God, was poured out as a gift in Jesus for you as if there was no other person to die for. You are singular in the eyes of God because God loves you. Our reconciliation to God did not start with us. It did not start with how good you may think you are or how bad you are. Friend, it started with God. God is the one who took the first step to bring us back to God. God built the highway over the rubbish heap of your sin and your failure and your final ruin. And He found a way to bring you home to Him. That's what it means to be reconciled. Isaiah the prophet put it this way. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Hebrew is a little more direct than this translation. Literally, the Lord has caused to meet in him all of our iniquity. Christ becomes the nexus of evil. He becomes the joining of all humanity in one. The consciousness that is scattered becomes collective in him. How much is that for Him to endure? How much of our mess must meet in Him for us to be found in Him, for the curse of the garden to be reversed? Isaiah says all of it. All of it. When Christ entered the Garden of Gethsemane, which in Aramaic means the oil press, to pray for the human race, to pray for you in the mix with an eternal mind that is now in human flesh. He fell to his face and Luke tells us that great clots of blood oozed out of his pores. No Roman spear and no nail drew one drop of blood from him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The pressure of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy was forcing his life out of him as God caused to meet in him all of our sin. All that is good in him was being forced and he was dying right there on the spot. Christ went into shock because human nature cannot endure what he was suffering. The blood is the life and it was being squeezed out of him. The oil representing the Holy Spirit was being squeezed out of him. He was dying. Christ suffered as a man, not as Superman. He suffered as a man with every human being inside his head. I tell you, no world religion makes a statement like that. That the eternal God would encapsulate all that is inside Him and put it in Christ who is God Himself from ceaseless ages. And to save the human race, He would bridge the gap to become one of us, God with us. And then to go through something so horrific that there would be no reason that any person, be it here in Christianity or any great world religion, that that person cannot be saved because of the victory of Jesus. The pressure of every person's life in one life was crushing out the one who is the life. The pressure of our sins was so great that it squeezed the Holy Spirit right out of the one who gave it. He was losing eternal life to give us life. The life giver. We were all there in Him that night. And the author of life was struggling with thick dew in his blood-stained brow in the garden of sorrows. An angel from heaven, Luke's account is very clear, came down to strengthen him. Why? Because he was dying. His human nature would have collapsed in moments. And so the Bible says he was hooked up to heaven's respirator so that his human nature couldn't die. He could only suffer. 
to be supernaturally sustained to endure the hours that would lead to the cross as he felt the full weight, the full consciousness of every person's guilt as his. And so he had to bear more grief than all the wicked and all the host of hell the devil and his angels will ever endure in the lake of fire. That's what Gethsemane to the cross is all about. Hell is Gethsemane, friend. It's the garden of sorrows and the cross of Calvary where Christ our substitute died for our sins. And why would He do this for us? Well, let's ask that question. Why go through that for us? Romans 5, 7, Why one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. Verse 8, But God shows His love for us. Now let that absorb into your heart. But God shows His love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, some people are so proud that they can't handle that statement, simplicity, but profound beauty. Christ didn't have to die for me, they say. How awful a picture that is. They say He just came to show us love and lead the way. A good moral teacher. Well, I'll tell you what's happening in Gethsemane of the Cross is not teaching anybody anything in that moment. No one's there but Him. His disciples sleep. The mystery of the agony of the interaction with sin and evil is known to Him and God alone. And there He suffers. We can extrapolate what transpired to a degree, but never infinitely so. Friend, your illness is deeper than the kind of solution that is merely a moral demonstration of what Jesus did for you. You see, the cure is a legal relational reality that deals with sin, the sins that you have committed. And the cure is much more profound than anything you can understand inside your head. It can't be systematized. It can't be put into a systematic theology. It is truth that is greater than our minds. We aren't small at all as far as heaven is concerned. And we aren't smart either. God cares about every person. But He knows that we weren't smart enough to save ourselves. Friend, Christ died for you whether you figure it out or not. He suffered for you. Jesus died for our sins, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.3. As of first importance, he says in the Gospel, the single most important truth in the apostolic Gospel framed in 1 Corinthians 15.3 is that Christ died for our sins. Now, this is the most important truth you can ever latch on to. Jesus died for you, your sins. Yes, you. Because no amount of education about the character of God could take one sin away from you. As important as it is to know God, none of that can take a sin away from you unless a sin bearer takes your sin and lives through its awful consequence and dies for you so that you do not have to die. Only death can remove a sinner from the universe. That's how you get rid of sin. Sin has to die. And Jesus stepped out of heaven so you could step into heaven. Christ is the great exchange that saves the human race. Your sins for His righteousness. Your death for His life. Your alienation for His reconciliation, acceptance. What does that mean right now in life? Here's what it means. It means that Jesus Christ is the life we live for God right now because we had no life to offer Him. Only death. And in Christ we live again. Romans 5.9 Since therefore we are now justified by His blood, 
Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Some people can say, well, you know, God doesn't have anything akin to wrath. That's not biblical. If you were to live in World War II, how many of you lived in World War II? Just tell me. Raise your hands high. It's okay. You're among friends here. Did Hitler do an awful thing? Yes or no? It was pretty bad, wasn't it? And how did you feel about that? No big deal? Or was it horrific to think what he did to the Jews? Horrific. Did it make you mad what he did to the Jews? Yes or no? It did. Is that a good thing to be mad about stuff like that? Yes. Is God capable of that same kind of response, but in a more holy kind of way? Absolutely. It bothers God what sin has done to His creation. It bothers God what sin can do to a sinless realm if it infects the universe. It is deeply troubling to God what sin has done to Himself in the person of Christ. The wrath of God is a moral response to evil that is appropriate because of the disease. God is passionately connected to removing the cancer while He passionately desires to save the sinner. And so we cannot erase this idea that God has wrath. His wrath is His moral response to evil. How is a person justified right now in light of God's hatred of evil? How is that possible? How can God deal with evil and save the sinner at the same time? How do you receive a right now righteousness that is not yours, but it becomes yours as a gift for the judgment day? How does that happen? How do you get saved and declared righteous by a righteous God today so you will not face what the Bible calls the wrath of God on the last day? How does that practically occur? Romans 5.1 tells us very plainly, but let's look at the context, Romans 4.25. Christ, who was put to death, literally in the Greek, parodidomy, handed over, given up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That means our legal acceptance. That's a legal term. It would have been used in the courtrooms of Paul's day. Legally justified by the judge. It was raised for that purpose. Therefore, since we are justified, and here's the means by which it occurs in our experience, justified by what? By faith. You see, this is why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, that means exercising faith in Him as a Savior from sin, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That the whosoever of John 3.16 should not perish. So Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is reconciled. Through Him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Good things come because of the apostolic gospel. In the gospel we receive four things concretely stated here. Number one, gift number one, we are justified by faith. That means not guilty for the judgment day right now in your relationship to God. That's what faith brings when you accept Jesus in a real way. Now I'm going to say what accepting Jesus is not. Accepting Jesus is not some emotional feeling where you treat Jesus as just a buddy-buddy friend. Friend, Christ is far superior to you. He is human, true. But He's your substitute and Savior. You call to Him Lord. You bow down at His feet and you say, Jesus is Lord. And you accept Him as Lord. And you accept the gift of Christ in humility by faith. That's what saving faith is. Gift number two, we have peace with God. 
God is not at war with the person who bows down at the feet of Jesus because God has given Christ to save you. Gift number three. We have access to grace in Jesus. What's grace? It's the goodness, the attitude of favor that comes from God. The favor of God who is righteous and holy is given to the sinner who clings to Jesus as Savior. In the gift of Christ, we have grace. We have peace. In gift number four, Paul says, we rejoice with hope for the future glory that will be shared with Jesus. I mean, life is not a dead-end road that goes to nowhere, friend. If you have Jesus, life has glory at the end of the road. There is a future that is promising in Christ. Now, let's summarize all of this in the negative sense. If you do not have Jesus, you have nothing. Why? Because there is no other name under heaven and earth whereby a person can be saved but the one who came from God to save us for God, the Reconciler. These are great things that God has done in Jesus, and we get them by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Faith is trusting Him to save you, knowing you can't save yourself. It's putting away that self-confidence that says, I'm good enough, I'll work at this long enough, I'll develop character. It's setting aside that arrogant attitude and saying, broken though I be, and ruptured within, I lay the mess of life down to thee. Save me for him. Friend, God in Christ is the reconciler of the human race. Romans 4.25 says Jesus was raised for our justification. I recently got an auto ticket. Anybody ever get one of these? Tell me if you ever got one of these. Anyone? Don't you love that blue and red light flashing in the rearview mirror? Now this one has some drama attached to it. Every year I try to get out and have a camping trip with my son when they were younger. I took four camping trips a year with them. My son purchased a 2001 Forester, and it's been worked on gradually. And we had one loose end on this trip. The left tail light was subject to rain. The rain would get in there and blow the light. And that happened, sure enough, just before we hit sunset on our way down to Tennessee to camp out at Jellicoe Mountain. And as we're going, I noticed that there was this blue light flashing in the background. Of course, that means you need to pull over. Something bad could happen, right? You can feel the drama in the heart when you see that thing. The officer pulled over. He says, did you know you were weaving all over the road? We had a police officer who wasn't on duty watching you for about 15 miles. And you're just weaving. I says, well, officer, I guess it's pretty late. I'm tired. No excuse for it. Then he said, your left light's out, and I'm going to give you a citation right now for that. Awful thing to get, isn't it? And he said, well, you're going to be summonsed into court. He says, well, there's good news, though. If you go and you get a taillight and you send it with the receipt and a letter to the judge, then they'll just probably send you a bill in the mail or something like that. And, and those bills can be huge, can't they? Especially when you're out of state. I know that they don't mind billing someone in another state as much as they do people in their own state. So I was getting nervous. He said, furthermore, you really can't drive this way. Now, how do you get there if you can't drive? So he said, I'm going to follow you to the next exit. You are to get a hotel tonight, mister. And you go to bed tonight, and don't you travel anymore tonight. I said, yes, sir. Well, I felt awful. Here was this great trip, messed up by the officer. The law messed up the journey. The law said, you're guilty right there. I knew the light was out. There was nothing to say. 
Now, how many of you would like to get off the hook with the judge when you have a ticket? I want to get off the hook if I know I'm guilty. I have learned over the years how to do it. Would you like to know how to do it? Okay. I have here behind that letter a letter I wrote to the judge. I'm not going to read it all to you, but let me give you the essence of it right here. Your honor. Now, you don't want to say, dear sir, or something like that. Your honor. Every judge likes to hear the fact that they are an honorable administer of justice. I said, I'm attaching this PDF file letter with the receipt of the back taillight that needed replacement that the officer, of course, told me to send with the summons to court. And then I proceed in the letter. I explain to him the circumstances. But in so doing, I am very careful not to excuse my infraction. I pretty much say in clearest terms, Your Honor, I am guilty. For this, I am very sorry. I went out of my way in this letter to talk about which a fine and nice officer it was who pulled me over. How grateful I was that he took me to the exit so I could get a hotel that night. I talked about how I was on a trip with my son for the purpose of mutual character development. And how I was late in getting there. But I didn't cross the line to say I did not break the law. In clearest terms, I said I present myself before the mercy of the court. Without presuming upon the kindness of the court, I respectfully ask for consideration in this matter. Now, I didn't just write that as a single line. I wrote that, you know, in a way that would make them feel good about their role and would let them know that I am not usurping it. Well, unfortunately, we'll have to wait till tomorrow to hear the end of this story. But you can go online to reachingyourheart.com. Look for the reconciler there under the broadcast schedule on the main page. Please stop by the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. The new address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That again is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. We hope to see you there. For Pastor Mike and everyone here also, please know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.